If you are a visitor with us, this is our last Sunday of Advent, and I've been doing a series called The Motley Men of Christmas. And what I mean by that, that word motley means diverse, a very different group of different characters or groups of characters that were involved in the Christmas narrative. And so we, four weeks ago, we looked at the hope of Christmas. And we understood that Joseph's obedience allowed him to find hope in Christmas. And the big picture was God does the impossible and he includes mankind. He includes us. And when we're obedient to the Lord, even the stuff that seems impossible, God will still do it and he'll use you and I to be a part of it. Three weeks ago, we studied the terror of Christmas. And in Matthew chapter 2, we looked at the fact that really this wasn't about three wise men as it was about two kings, King Herod versus King Jesus. And we asked the question, who is your king? And we understood by looking at Herod's life that the terror of Christmas is when we only think about ourselves, when our universe and our world is very me-centered and it's all about me and me-focused, we end up, even though we try to find happiness, we end up only hurting ourselves and hurting those around us. Then last week, we looked at the power of Christmas. We looked at the power of Christmas and we realized in these two groups, of one group of Gentile uh, stargazers, these wise men and who they were, and then this group of low-class Jewish shepherds, and we realized that God reaches out to anybody and everybody. But the question we dealt with was, will you look for and find and worship Jesus? So on this, the 20th of December, on our last Sunday of Advent, we are going to look fittingly at the person of Christmas. The person of Christmas. And to put that in a nutshell, it's Jesus. Jesus. And why is that important? Because Jesus is God in the flesh and because he is God in the flesh he's our hope and our salvation we're going to look at different passages in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 but here is the thing the thought I want you to take away with you as we go into this last week of Christmas all right which is this Jesus came as one of us so that we can be made like him Jesus came as one of us so that we can be made like him so as I said there's literally Five days to Christmas. Christmas 2015 is almost here. So now look up. How y'all feeling about that? <laughs> Sometimes I really do wish one of these days I'm going to get a big mirror and do that. So you all can see what I get to see when I ask these types of questions. It is obvious from some of your faces that you can't wait for it to be over. All right. Some of you are excited. Probably a little bit more dependent on the age level is the level of excitement. Okay. But. How do you know if you're prepared for Christmas? Because if I asked everybody here, are you prepared for Christmas? You're likely going to give me a paradigm of definition that is different to every single one of us in this room. But let me ask this going further. What's this Christmas been like for you? So where is your heart and your head and your emotions? Uh, better yet, uh, City Financial gets it right. Uh, whose hands are in your wallet this Christmas? How about your relationships? Are they enhanced at Christmas time or does it just magnify the dysfunction of family? And you feel like, Ugh, will I survive it? All right. Have you been thinking about Christmas, what it means, what is real and what's not? 
Where does Christ fit into all of the Christmas carols and all the movies and all the cartoons and all of the displays and all of the concerts and all the shows? But think about this. This is December 20th of 2015. I watched a documentary uh, just this past week about when, when it turned over to 2000. Do you remember the hoopla when that? Now everybody thought the world was going to crash and burn when we went from 1999 to all the computers were either going to rise up or just go beep, all right? When the thing flipped over to, and, and nothing happened. It was much ado about nothing. And here we are. Can you believe it? It's 15 years since that happened. 15 years. But do you realize that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was born. Nothing had ever happened before it, nothing ever, and no one has ever claimed to do that since. Today, at this church, we're going to celebrate the person of Christmas, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, before we do that, I I have a habit of showing some videos, so I don't want to break with tradition. This is one of my traditions, all right? I'm always amazed when the world seems to get what I think we should really get in the church. So how many of you have watched already or plan to watch this week the movie, The Polar Express? Put your hand up if you've seen it already or you plan to watch it. Uh, Half of you, I think, are afraid to admit it. But some of you have seen it. There you go. Ryan's back. He's seen it. It's a great movie. I encourage you to watch it. All right? I want to show you a few clips from this because I, I really think this illustrates what I want you to understand. The very first clip that Steve's going to show you is the very beginning of the movie. And you have this little boy, and he's laying in bed, and he hears this big locomotive come in. And this little boy is at a crossroads in his life. So, Steve, let's play the first clip. coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course. This is the Polar Express. The North Pole? I see. Hold this, please. Thank you. Is this you? Yeah. Well, it says here, no photo with the department store Santa this year. No letter to Santa, and you made your sister put out the milk and cookies. Mm-hmm. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Now, you get what's happening here? This little boy, it's his crucial year. He's a bit cynical. He's starting to doubt. He went through all the trappings. If you watch the beginning of the movie, the house is decorated, the lists have been made, but he's laying there and he's wondering, is it all real? Is it all worth it? And this movie walks you through this. And so he gets on the train and he goes. Now I want to take you to the pivotal part of the movie when his crisis of faith collides. All right, so let's show him the next one, Steve. Okay. 
believe. I believe. that you said I, I believe I believe I, I believe this is yours Wow come to the crossroads in this movie he went from a doubting boy, cynical and kind of wondering. Now, I believe. I believe. And the whole like, theme behind this is that bell it plays a big part. Because when you believe, you can hear it ring. You can hear it ring. Now, what amazes me most is the very last scene. And I want to show you that. Let's show you the last scene. And then Has you'll understand where I'm going. that hole in your pocket, Mr. C. Oh, what a beautiful bell. Watch Who's it from? Santa. Santa? Really? Oh, that's too bad. What's this? Huh? Broken. Huh. Sorry about that, sport. Listen carefully to the words. At one time, most of my friends could hear the bell. But as years passed, it fell silent for all of them. Even Sarah found one Christmas that she could no longer hear its sweet sound. Though I've grown old, the bell still rings for me, as it does for all who truly believe. For all who truly believe. So here's my question. I'm amazed when the world can make a film and yet tap into all of the commercialism and all of the pop cultural beliefs of Christmas. And yet this is really a good challenge for us. Maybe some of you are here and you don't believe or you're having a crisis of belief. Maybe you're at that moment where you go, I, I believe, I believe. And, and yet the sweetness of Christmas, the sweetness of the gospel, the sweetness of Jesus Christ. There's a great, great old chorus that goes, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Is there for us? 
Where are you at on the spectrum? Are, 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 you, are you taking God's word that used to be alive to you and now you read it and it's like a kid who's lost their way? You, you read it, but nothing rings. It's kind of gotten a part of just your everyday doing of life. Or do you truly believe? So when you go to the word of God, it just jumps off the page at you. And so I want us to see that this day. I want us to get on the train and let's take a journey through God's word. Let's get on a journey through God's word and go to God's word. And I want us to consider this, that the name of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the mission of Jesus is why the person of Jesus is so important for us this morning. So take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read just a couple of verses there in Matthew 1. And then we're going to look at Matthew 2, Luke 1 and Luke 2. Just some, some very quick passages of scripture. In Matthew chapter 1, because we've read all these in the last three weeks. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And we read, right, that his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and she was, before they were ever together, she was found to be with child. She was pregnant, but she'd never had sex. She was a virgin. And she's found to be with child, and Joseph considers divorcing her. But notice verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? He will save his people from their sins. Now, Catch how they're going to connect the dots. Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now he's going to quote Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now look in chapter 2. Right. The wise men come and they come and they want to ask and they they say, where is he? Verse two, who in chapter two of Matthew, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so Herod calls his scribes and his religious leaders. And in verse six, they quote Micah chapter five, verse two. And they tell these wise men where Jesus was to be born. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Now, if you flip over to Luke chapter 1, in Luke chapter 1, and in verse 39, you have the angel Gabriel coming, sorry, in verse 26, Gabriel comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1, Verse 26, and the angel came to her and said, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. You'll see how Matthew and Luke agree on all of this. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. Now, I want you to notice Joseph, when he's faced with this, fears. He's troubled. And an angel comes to him and says, fear not. When, when Gabriel comes to Mary and says, this is what's going to happen, she fears. And then the angel says, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now remember last week, if you turn over and look at Luke chapter 2, we know that the shepherds were out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord comes to them. Remember? And, it, and the angel was, was there and, and look at what the angel says in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And notice again, they were filled with great fear. You'll find every time that people encounter the bigness, the greatness, the majesty of God, they're filled with great fear. But notice again, and the angel said to them, verse 10, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you to consider that. So what I want to do first of all is let's look at his name. His name. What's in a name? What's in a name? And I, I really think it's a shame that in our Western culture, we don't have more real good traditions like they did back in the ancient cultures and in some other cultures of the world today because your name meant everything. Okay, so my name is Stephen. But what does that mean? Well, let me tell you. I'm glad you thought to ask. Anyway, all right? So Stephen is a masculine name. It's derived from the Greek word Stephanos, which in turn means wreath or crown. It means honor or reward. Literally, the name means that which surrounds or encompasses. Often the name Stephen is associated with Stephen, the first martyr in Acts, right? And in fact, because of that, the name Stephen was very, very popular in the early church. In our world, it was popularized in England by the Normans. And many of the kings of England were named Stephen. But now, many of you will hear a name and you'll have a positive or negative emotional response. See, this Christmas is going to be a little different for Deb and I. This is the first Christmas that our firstborn son, since we've been married, that our whole family won't be together. Brandon will be celebrating Christmas with his fiance and her family out in Regina, so it's just going to be the four of us. But another new part of this Christmas, well, Debbie's fa family will be with us for Christmas, and we haven't had Christmas with them for 15 years. So all of our family will be getting together on Christmas Day. But the funny story is when Debbie and I were 22 and Deb was pregnant, Debbie and I lived in the Annapolis Valley, and I was a youth pastor of a church there, and Debbie taught at a Christian school. And she had a little boy in her kindergarten class, and his name was Brandon. Now, I used to go over with Deb every day, and I spent a lot of time there and saw the kids, and they would play. And this little kid, Brandon, was just this kind of stocky, chubby little kid, but he was full of life and full of humor, and he constantly had a Band-Aid on him. And those Band-Aid had dinosaurs or Tonka trucks. And he wore these little miniature work boots. And he kind of scuffed along. And you'd, he'd come in. And they always knew me as Pastor Steve. And he'd say, hey, Pastor Steve. And, and, and I just had the warmest response to him. And I love this little fellow. And when Debbie told me that we were expecting and we were going to have a baby boy, I wanted to name our firstborn son Brandon for no other reason. But I had a really warm, positive, emotional response to that name. So that's why Brandon is named Brandon. I told him if I'd known a Brandon and he wasn't nice, you wouldn't have been named Brandon. All right? But we have warm and fuzzy feelings. We, we do things. So if I said the name to you, Adolf Hitler, 
you, everybody has an emotional response. If I say the name to you, Charles Spurgeon, if you know anything about church history, you probably have a response. If I say the word Mother Teresa, you have a response. If I say the name Omar Gaddafi or Saddam Hussein, you immediately have a picture of the person or the type of person that they are. So what comes to your mind when I say the name Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. There's just something about that name. In Acts chapter 4, Peter preaching to the Jewish people, he says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And listen to this amazing statement. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's an incredible claim. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul would say, Therefore God hath highly exalted him who Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize there's coming a day when the name Jesus will no longer be a curse word or the punchline of a joke, but will actually be the name by which we worship. Well, you and I take some time this day, this week, this coming year, as God gives, to simply dwell on the name of Jesus. And in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 and Luke 1 and Luke 2, how do we see it? Who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is our Emmanuel. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It means Yahweh saves. That's the name it means. In fact, the English equivalent to it now is Joshua. And it means Yahweh saves. It's God in the flesh. He saves us from what we need the most saving from, our sin. He doesn't save us to give us more money. He doesn't save us to give us great health. He doesn't save to give us perfect relationships because those are all needs, but they're not our greatest need. He saves us from our sin because that's our greatest need. Jesus, Yahweh saves, was born to die. In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah the prophet says this, but he was pierced, notice this, for our transgressions. Not somebody else's, ours. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him that was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. I want you to take that. But he's Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He had compassion on us. Remember in Matthew chapter 9, when he looks out over the people and it says he had great compassion on them because he saw they were a people who were without a shepherd. And he says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Remember in John chapter 11 as he stood before the sealed grave of Lazarus and he watched Mary and Martha weep and he watched the people wail and he wept over the death of his friend because he saw how sin had brought death into the world. You remember in Luke chapter 22 when he stands and looks from the Mount of Olives over the city of Jerusalem and he cries over the city of Jerusalem and, and he weeps and he prays and he says, Oh Jerusalem, if you just believed in me, I would have gathered you together as hen, a hen does her chicks. But more than that, Emmanuel, God with us in Hebrews 4, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And so now we can come boldly before the throne of grace. 
to find help in our time of need. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Yahweh saves us with us, but notice, Jesus is also our Savior. For unto you was born this day a Savior. Luke chapter 2. He's our Savior. Savior means the anointed one. In the Old Testament, God was always considered the Savior of Israel. In Isaiah 45, 15, the prophet said, Truly, you are a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Now, the irony of this, when the shepherds hear this in Luke, unto you was born this day a Savior, in Israel's day in the first century, you know who was called the Savior? Caesar. Caesar Augustus was. The leader of Rome was considered the savior of the world. And now here comes Jesus and these shepherds here that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the savior of the world. He is the one who saves. He is savior not just of Israel, but of all who will trust in him. And that's why Paul says what he does in Titus chapter 2. In Titus 2, Paul says, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Now, who is that? Jesus Christ. It's God in the flesh. So our present God is the God who saves us, but even further, Jesus is our Christ. He's Emmanuel. He's our Savior. And Jesus is our Christ. Christ there means He's our Messiah. Did you see in our passage, is born to you this day in the city of David. See, he had to come from the lineage of David. He had to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, because Jesus fulfills all of the promises and prophecies that were made to David that he sings about and talks about all through the Psalms. And then Jesus is our Lord. He's our Lord. Why is he our Lord? Because he is God. He is the God who is visible to human eyes. If you want to understand the Trinity, God the Father is the God we cannot see. God the Son is the God we can see. God the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to understand and see God the Son and give praise and glory to God the Father. He is our Christ. This is what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, when Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who will transform our lowly body into be like His glorious body. How? By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So our Emmanuel is our Savior. Our Savior is our Christ, and our Christ is our Lord. So He is to be heard and obey. Why? Because we can trust Him. We can believe in him. And you need to believe he would never ask of us what is not in our best interest. He would never ask of us what is not for our good and his glory. But this Jesus, that's his name. Now consider with me his birth. Consider with me his birth. Last week I said this, and I I really want to drive this home because I think we've lost the wonder of this in the Western church. We need to be honest and frank about what we're saying when it comes to Christmas. Now, I mean mean it. Think about it. We're saying 2,000 years ago, the eternal God of all creation, of all the universe, entered the womb of a virgin where his human body grew for nine months. His mother gave birth to the Son of God who took the flesh and blood of a human man. He then lived for 30 plus years without sin. 
Never once did he do wrong. He performed miracles. He preached the kingdom. He was believed on and yet rejected. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was then arrested. He was given six trials in the space of hours, three civil trials and three legal trials. He was beaten and he was mocked. He was spit upon and crucified. He was killed with sinners. He was forsaken by God the Father and then he willingly gave up his life. He was buried for three days and then he rose from the dead. And then for 40 days later, after being seen by literally hundreds and hundreds of people, he ascended into heaven and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father to live and reign forevermore. Oh, I heard, I heard something. Mm. You want uh, that amen almost creeped out. All right. But listen, if, is all this true? Yes. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> then that demands a response. It does. It demands a response. But do you know and understand that this is not new? I want you to realize Jesus' birth was predicted. His birth was predicted. You see it in Matthew 2, Luke 1, Luke 2, all these. Jesus' name, his type of birth, his place of birth, the repercussions of his birth are all predicted in the Old Testament starting in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, when Adam and Eve have fallen and they've sinned and the Lord comes and he tells Eve that she has been cursed because of her sin. And what does he say? But you will give birth to a son. Through you, a son will come. And he will be bruised, his foot will be bruised by Satan, but he will crush the head of Satan. What that means is he will crush evil. He will crush sin. He'll crush death. He will crush all of those fears and anxieties. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that predict and proclaim and promise all about Jesus are all found in the person of Jesus. And thus, Jesus' birth was miraculous. His birth was miraculous you got to think that through. Like, I mean, honestly, everybody, as you celebrate, like, either Jesus was born of a virgin or he wasn't. Either it's true or it's a lie. Like, there's no way to just explain it and kind of win on both ends. It's either true or it's not true. And I find it fascinating that Hollywood will make movies. I believe. I believe. Well, Josephus writes about Jesus. Josephus was a Jewish historian. In his book, The Jewish Antiquities, he writes this. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. And when, upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross. Those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. This is a guy who didn't call himself a Christian. This is how he describes Jesus. Decades after Jesus has disappeared. You see, Jesus, the virgin birth, is what sets him apart from every other religion and philosophy of humankind. It's what connects him to the predictions of his life and death and his resurrection. And the only thing we can do is either reject it or accept it. 
So Jesus' birth was predicted. Jesus' birth was miraculous. But listen, Jesus' birth makes all the difference in the world in your life. It does. The birth of Jesus through Mary a virgin who was in no way stained or abused, but rather her purity is protected, her dignity is upheld, and God's holiness is unstained. This makes God and Christianity and the gospel unique and powerful. Isn't Jesus' birth incredible? I mean, it really is. It really is. It's, it's amazing. Um, um, but it's not impossible. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when Mary says, how can this happen? It's, he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. You see, with men, some stuff, not everything is possible. But with God, nothing is impossible. So this Christmas, Calvary and friends and visitors, let's be sure we are crystal clear about what we believe and what we're claiming to be true. God was born, born as a baby, grew like any human being and walked this earth as a man. Now, why does that matter and change everything? Well, listen, he's Emmanuel, according to Matthew 1. God with us. God is with us. He didn't run away from us. He's no longer quiet or silent. He chose to come and be with us, to walk through this life, and not just to know about us omnisciently because he's God, but to also humanly know what we feel. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, grace is humbling and restorative. It pulls you down because Christ died for you, but also lifts you up because he wanted to die for you. Ponder that this Christmas. Remember when I said that Jesus laid down his life? In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, here are the words of Jesus. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. I want you to realize nobody killed Jesus. People beat him, they spit out upon him, they put him on a cross, but he gave up his life. He said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So we have Jesus' name. He's Emmanuel. He is Savior. He is Christ, and He is Lord. His birth was predicted. His birth is miraculous, and His birth changes everything. But you know what? He came with a mission. We have the mission of Jesus. I want you to make sure this Christmas that you understand why God sent Jesus into this world. I want you to see the love of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the, the tenderness of Jesus. I want you to study and read with your children and read together with your spouse or with your family those quiet scenes of Christmas that you read about. But I also want you to hear the cries from Bethlehem of mothers whose children were slaughtered. I want you to hear and feel the nervous tension in Jerusalem when Jesus was pronounced King of the Jews and all of Jerusalem was in tension over it. I want you to see the flat-out rejection of Herod who just said, no, I reject him. I want you to feel the scandal of Mary and Joseph. I want you to see and sense the fleeing and the poverty and the prophecy of what Jesus' presence would mean, both good and bad. And don't forget Mary's song in Luke 1 when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and Zacharias' song and Anna's prayer and Simeon's prophecy. Because you know what his mission was? Jesus came to save us from our sin. That's why he came. He didn't come to make us rich. 
He didn't come to give us a, a, a Broadway Park Avenue life. He came to save us from our sins. D.A. Carson says, we overcome the accuser on the ground of the blood of Christ, nothing more and nothing less. One of my favorite authors is Paul Tripp. This last week, he's been putting some things out. He said this week, that baby in the manger came as our ultimate substitute. Everything we do, he would do, he would do on, in our behalf and for our salvation. That baby in the manger came because the whole world was and is groaning, waiting for its final redemption. That's the purpose of the baby in the manger. Now, let me show you what is Christmas understood from a sinner's point of view. How as sinners should Christmas look? Well, first of all, it starts with this. I am a sinner. I am. I feel like every day, I feel like putting it on my Facebook. I feel like, you know, people go to AA meetings or they go to all. I feel like coming to Sinners Anonymous and going, hey, my name is Steve. I'm a sinner. It's been two seconds since my last sin. That, that's what it's like, right? You, you admit, I'm a, I have needs. I can't do it. No matter how hard I work at it, no matter how many friends I have or how much money I have or how much possessions I get, it doesn't matter. Pick your vice. No matter how much alcohol you turn to or drugs you inject or, or sex you consume or whatever, you will never be happy because we're sinners. But then we say, you know what? God doesn't owe me anything except His wrath and judgment. God, God doesn't owe me anything. I, God's not in debt to me. But then you can go, but I can't believe God would love me. And then God would be my Emmanuel. He would come for me and live for me and die for me and then save me from myself all at His expense. So you know what this Christmas would be? Now I'm overwhelmed with thanksgiving and gratitude. I believe. I believe. Now the bell rings. The Bible comes to life. I believe. Because His love for me and His work for me and His sacrifice for me and His will for me. And I'll spend my day simply resting in Christ who loves me. He came to save us from our sin. You know what? His mission was He came to give us peace. Oh, how I wish I knew how to preach this better. Peter explained it to a Gentile centurion. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, he says, As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Scotty Smith puts it like this. The gospel is the difference between being all God intends for us to become versus doing all that we want to get done in life. It's the difference from being or doing. Having peace with God is just to be in Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame why because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us at the end of Romans he says in verse chapter 15 may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing I believe 
so that the power of the Holy Spirit may now abound in hope. Do you want to know if you have peace? Here's your litmus test. Catherine Heston puts it like this. We waste so many days waiting for the weekend. So many nights wanting morning. Our lust for future comfort is the biggest thief of life. If that's you, you're probably not at peace. You're probably not at peace. What did Jesus say in John 14, 27? Peace I leave, w- leave with you. My peace I give you. See, all of us need to marinate in that promise. Are you content? Do you have patience? Come on now. Patience. <laughs> I don't want to make eye contact with anybody because I don't have patience myself. Do you trust God with yourself? Do you trust God with your situation in life? Whether you're single or married or divorced or widowed or widowed, a, a widower, whatever your circumstance, whether you're healthy or not, do you trust God with your spouse and your kids and your mom and dad and your siblings? Do you trust God with your job or your possessions? Or, your, your, or let me ask, is your bucket list more important than God, especially as we get into the season of New Year's resolutions? Does it match with what God's word says? See, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to give us peace. But you know what? Jesus came to give us joy. Came to give us, did you, do you know that from Acts to Revelation, joy is spoken about 36 times in the Bible? From Acts to Revelation. Joy is both a feeling and a reality. The Bible speaks of people being joyful, of having joy. In Galatians 5, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The New Testament says you can have it, you are filled with it, you can express it, you can be settled in it, and you can actually give it to others. Yes, joy is contagious. Are you that kind of virus? Are you a joy virus in, your, in, your, in the people that you have influence over? You're just joyful. David Paulison says, there is a God who is powerful and present. There is a God who speaks and raises the dead. It is that God at work in us. But listen, do you want to know how to be joyful? This Christmas, it's not in how many presents are under the tree. D.A. Carson said, the believer who expects bundles of joy to be showered upon him regardless of his prayer life is deluded. You want to find joy? Get on your knees. Start talking to God. Pray that as we worship today, we will experience and cherish the joy of our salvation. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Yeah, boy. Uh. Now, he came to save us from our sins. He came to give us peace. He came to give us joy, which means it's obvious, right? Jesus came to give us victory. He came to give us victory. Paul Tripp explains it like this. Life abundant, life eternal was in that manger and death was the way he would deliver it to us. Jesus said in John 17, and this is eternal life. Not that you live forever, notice. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you want a victory? No, Jesus. But Paul also does it in a passage. In a passage we often read at funerals. I don't get it. We wait till someone's dead to give them the verses they needed when they were alive. 
All right? In 1 Corinthians 15, G- Paul says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Right? And the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, this Christmas, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We're told that Matthew, Jesus tells us in Matthew that he would save us from our sins. Luke tells us that, that, and the shepherds that he is coming again, right? In Luke 1 and Luke 2. And what does it say? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Scotty Smith again writes this. Jesus came to make his blessings flow, not trickle. He came to make his blessings flow, not trickle. Let's live and love with great hope and generosity because we've won the victory. John summarizes it best. I, I got to be honest, I laughed and cried as I studied for this this week. In 1 John 5, 4 and 5, John says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. I believe. I believe. The Polar Express should not have the franchise on this. The church should. I believe. Right? Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so Calvary, the hope of Christmas, and the power of Christmas is the person of Christmas, Jesus Christ. And when we respond to Jesus and we trust in Him and believe in Him, we're given, we are given a new name. And we are born again. And then we're given a mission. And Trevin Wax puts it like this. The gospel is a story to be entered, an announcement to be proclaimed, and it births a community to be experienced. So, Calvary, do you believe? Do you believe? Remember when we started with the clips of the Polar Express? You see, even the world wants us to believe in something, but it's always believe in yourself or believe in what makes you happy or believe in what brings you pleasure or believe in what takes away the pain. But while Jesus will ultimately give us all those things, his plan and purpose for your life and mine is his glory and his honor and his praise. The gospel is about hope, not hype. But you know what? God's honor and God's glory and God's praise leads to our peace and our hope and our joy. And it's a lasting peace and hope and joy and love. And it's so relational that it's simply not good for you while hurting others. No, and when we believe and trust in God, we become his children. We become his family. We're a family that loves and helps and prays for, encourages, even sacrifices for. So what is Christmas all about? Christmas is the discovery of, of the wonder, the grace, the mercy, the love of God towards his own creation. And even as God created, and folks, listen, he didn't need us. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't feeling uh, neglected. He chose to display himself. He chose to proclaim his magnificence. And since God is love, his very act of creation, and then his humiliation, and then his crucifixion, and then his resurrection, and then his ascension, is love displayed by God towards us. 
So what will we do this Christmas? How do we bring glory to God? The Bible's short answer is this. By growing more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the short answer. See, here, everybody in this room, you're one of four people. And I close with this. You're sitting here going, Steve, listen. I like Jesus. I like him the way I like Mother Teresa. Good guy. But I don't know if I'm going to listen to him, listen to him and trust him. I like him, but not enough to go, I believe. And some of you might even claim, and many in fact I think in this room would say, I, I believe in him, I believe in who he claims to be, I believe in what he claims to have done, I believe in his power and his creation as a plan, but you simply live life like all of that doesn't matter. He's like a tagline. He's a hashtag to your Twitter life. Or you're like Herod and you simply go, you know what? I'm here because I was dragged here. I don't believe any of this. Or you can go, I believe. I believe. And that belief means something. It affects me and it fuels me and it powers me and it transforms me and it means I look at Christmas very differently. And Paul wrote it in Ephesians. And these are my last words. As we go into this Christmas week and as you guys go to all of the stuff that you do at Christmas, what does the person of Christmas do in your life? Jesus Christ lived this, then he died for it, and then he rose again to give it to us. And if you're here today and claim to know Jesus, then let this be your Christmas wish. Let these words I'm about to read be your Christmas prayer. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 31, this Christmas, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Will you? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so there, be imitators of God this Christmas as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As the song says, that's my grown-up Christian Christmas wish. Is it yours? Is it ours? It can be. It should be. Merry Christmas, Calvary. I love you all. Let's close in prayer and then sing and wait a minute. My God and my Savior, I thank you for this opportunity to allow your word to speak. Lord, I want to say a special thank you because just reading through this and reading all these scriptures has really, really affected me. And I thank you for the gift that I can preach and yet you still deal with me. Lord, I thank you for your name, that you are God with us, that you are our Savior and our Christ and our Lord. I thank you that your birth has been predicted and fulfilled. It is miraculous and sets you apart and it changes lives. And I thank you that your mission has been accomplished. You've come to save us from our sin if we will believe in you. You've came to give us peace. You came to give us joy. You came to give us victory. And I pray that that would be true amongst us. And if there's anybody here, Lord, today who doesn't know you, they are lacking in peace and joy and victory. They're doubting you. They're angry, whatever it might be. 
I pray that they would be motivated by you to come and ask questions. I pray for us as Christians that we will ring the bell of God's word and we will hear it ring. And that this Christmas we will say, I believe. And that it would be more than a movie or a cliche, but the reality of our life. In Jesus' name and all God's people said,